electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, thanks a lot, Carl. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Taking us some stock of text tumble in the wild week on Wall Street, triple-digit gains, triple-digit losses. Is all the bad news baked in? Is that Santa Claus rally intact? And is the stay-at-home, work-at-home, work-out-at-home trade, is that done? We're going to debate all of that with our investment committee. It's Shannon Sakosha, Jason Snipe, Steve Weiss, and John Ajarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Thank you all for being here. Let's first get a check in the markets. The Nasdaq, as they just discussed on Tech Check, really getting whacked on pace for its worst day since September the 28th and on track for a second week of losses. It's down more than 6% in the past two weeks. The S&P also on track for a second week of losses. And the Dow now on pace for a fourth straight week of losses. So we got to talk about all this. Let's begin with just this Nasdaq hit right now. As we just mentioned, down right now, worst day since September 28th. Um, NVIDIA falling on the FTC block in that arm deal. Alphabet and Microsoft possibly hurt by potential tighter regulations from European regulators. The EU continue to monitor COVID misinformation on those platforms. But why are we seeing this broader sell-off? Steve Weiss, let's begin with you. What are you seeing? Well, I think there's so many cross currents in this market. I've been cautious on the market, as you know. Every analyst in the world is looking for this year-end rally, which means that the world's too optimistic. So what we've had, we had a major change this week with Powell from from the Fed coming out and saying, hey, you know, transitory shouldn't be in language anymore. And then he doubled down the next day in in the hearings when people were looking for somewhat of of a backward pedal on it. They didn't get it. So as I said, it was doubling down. They did a jobs number today where the top line number was was a miss, a big miss. However, the underlying numbers were good. So so if I sum it up this way, you've now got a market that is half empty rather than what's driven it, which is half full. You have multiples that were just inexplainable how they got there. And so now the market is retracing and it's taking him down. So I don't think this is the end of it necessarily. There'll be ebbs and flows. We'll bounce like we had a bounce yesterday. But overall, I don't see anything wrong with taking some off the table and having cash. And I know you don't sell them down days. And frankly, I haven't been doing that. But I've had cash and buying. But it's too early just yet. We'll know in a week or so, because in a week or so, we'll have inflation numbers, we'll have the Fed meeting, and they will be pulling tapering forward. Make no mistake about that. And we'll also have the data on what the new variant is. Is it very dangerous? We know it spreads more, but how dangerous is it? So that's all coming next couple of weeks, and that could dictate what happens through the end of the year. But markets do go up and rates go up. They just don't go up right away. It takes a while to absorb it. So I continue to be cautious despite the sell-off. 
You know, Shannon, over to you. Weiss makes a really great point. Dr. Fauci came out a few days ago and said it might take about two weeks for us to know really the impact of Omicron. Is all this selling off due to that uncertainty or do you see some other underlying factors? No, I, I mean, I'd love to actually attribute it to the variant because I think that would lend to a more binary response to your question. But I do think that what we're looking at is we're looking at the potential for 2022 to be a different year than we, we obviously had in 2021. And I know um, my friend, the Nigerians, are going to talk a little bit about all of this additional volatility coming into next year. And certainly there's ways to take that from an opportunistic stance rather than a risk stance. But I think that what I'm looking at is, you know, what what does January and February look like and how much are, are folks positioning themselves over the last week or so in anticipation of a first quarter that may yield us very strong economic data, along with a Fed taper, a pull up in tightening from a rate perspective, but also continuing really strong manufacturing and consumer numbers. I mean, look at the ISM services print. The consumer is not going away. And so I think what we're trying to do is balance what areas of the market will potentially benefit, where there could be an overhang. We're certainly seeing it in long duration stocks and growth. Obviously, that makes sense given the interest rate environment. Um, But I think right now, over the next couple of weeks, I don't anticipate that we're going to get another sharp sell off before the end of the year. But I'm looking back to 2016 and I'm looking at my portfolio and saying, am I insulated for a rocky first quarter? Because we could certainly get that. John and Jerry, I know volatility is your middle name. Is this all just a response to the volatility (laughs) in the market or is there something else driving down the Nasdaq and the NDX? Well, Frank, uh, as you know, that's a family uh, middle name that carried over (laughs) to me, volatility. Uh, But um, what we're looking at here, Frank, is obviously short term, to quote Shannon about volatility, short term, um, pretty nervous. Uh, Obviously, we had a 76 percent spike from pre-Thanksgiving through uh, Wednesday this week when we hit that 3260 or thereabouts. We came all the way off of there, broke through 26 this morning when we first were looking at the response to the employment data and, you know, weighing whether or not that 210,000 job creation negative was uh, overdone or rather was uh, offset by the fact that we had a 4.2 percent unemployment rate and so forth. So uh, what I would tell investors that don't follow it quite as much as you and I perhaps and Shannon, uh, I'd say the futures across the board are down. Futures in the VIX from January, February, March, all the way out till August, Frank, are down about two and a half percent. So rather than saying this is going to be something that spikes and just keeps carrying into next year, they're still relatively high. They're all about, call it 26 VIX for those futures right now, Frank. But they are uh, losing some of that oomph that was put in on the big down days this week, uh, rather than gaining uh, fear again today as the market drops 2% for the NASDAQ and so forth. So that's a little something to be focused on. And that's one of the reasons I've been nibbling a little here and there. All right, definitely, definitely. There's a lot of big things to focus on, too. Jason, I want to get over to you. Shannon hit on something I think a lot of investors would like to say, that this is all because of Omicron. That's the only reason all this is happening. But then you look at a stock like Netflix, down more than Amazon. Why would a stock like that be down if Omicron's the big fear? Because won't we all be stuck in our house watching our favorite shows? I don't watch a lot of Netflix myself, but 
watched a lot of Netflix shows. Like, why are we seeing this tech wreck? Yeah, it's interesting. So obviously the playbook on the tenure dropping to about 140 basis points and, and tech running it is, hasn't been the playbook over the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, I think there's concern about Omicron. I think there's concern about inflation. I think Weiss mentioned earlier, you know, the Fed pivot, you know, and accelerating the taper and, you know, potentially what tightening looks like, you know, over the next several quarters. So I think these are some things to be mindful of. I also think Hey, listen, the S&P is up 20 percent. The Nasdaq's up 20 percent. This also could be some repositioning, you know, because there's obviously concerns some headline risk, you know, on, on some of the items we just mentioned. But um, I think I think going into the second half of the year after we get the inflationary prints, um, you know, CPI and PPI, you know, I think I think we could uh, be positioned for a, a year end rally and we'll see what happens. But I think value um, could could outperform in the second half of, of, of this month. So let's see how uh, the information comes in, economic data comes in over the next couple of days. Yeah, we're certainly going to be watching that, John. I want to come back over to you. I just got your text. I know you, you just texted me, I can't use your Netflix password anymore. What happened? Um, just all jokes aside, I know you, <laughs> that's right, Frank. I know you're, you're getting into more Netflix. <laughs> to you, is that a stay-at-home player or is it something else? Well, um, when I was looking at uh, the QQQs, Frank, and um, seeing which stocks were more or less experiencing some of that biggest hit, you know, three and four percent drops. Those were getting interesting to me. So uh, when I was able to pick up some Netflix down here uh, beneath 600, I thought that was a reasonable spot for me to buy a little more stock and try to set myself up with some options in there as well. So some of the cash that I raised that I talked about earlier in the week, Frank, um, when we were dropping, I said, well, I'm going to wait and be patient and try to pull that trigger later rather than early. So that's what I did in PayPal, for instance, um, not buying it up there, you know, at the higher levels, but able to buy it in the 180s and so forth instead of 205 and 210. I think that was the prudent play. I think this is also prudent. I'm not saying it's the stay at home play, Frank. I just think Netflix um, is really the stock in the space more than disney plus more than anybody else hulu or anybody i think it's netflix and that's why i was buying it john let me get all those passwords just text them over uh on a serious note we're also <laughs> looking, at, <laughs> we're looking at those high growth names i think you know probably the, the poster child of, of this whole thing is docusign obviously a computer signing not a real one with a pen uh docusign completely tanking today on the back of its outlook I got to ask you guys, is this trade done? Is that stay at home, work at home, work out at home trade over and done with? Weiss, I'm going to come back over to you. Look, it, it, it is done, but I don't think that's the DocuSign story. The DocuSign story, the Zoom story, is that they're great in a bull market where you do no analysis. But when you realize, hey, valuation at some point does matter and moats do matter, then you say, why do I own this? Now, take DocuSign. Why should that company sell at the multiple sells at, forget about it, earnings, because it doesn't have any till next year, maybe, when that technology is not a moat? Microsoft can give you the technology. Adobe can give you more than that. Zoom, well, look at Zoom's pricing. You know, Teams is basically free. So those, those things that were said in the show yesterday, and I disagree with the comment that, you know, those are different than Peloton because they're here to stay and those companies deserve their multiples. That's a lot of junk. That's just not the story. That's wrong, okay? Because 
There's competition, and competition is a great equalizer. And these startups, these unicorns that don't have that competitive moat around them and that had this egregious valuation, well, yeah, they're going to get hammered, and the hammering's not done yet. So I'm sure a little snowflake. It's a high-quality company, but the valuation to me is, is lunacy. Uh, there are others that I'd like to short. Uh, when you take right. a look at Peloton, that's different. That's a stay-at-home play exclusively. That is now when markets, when gyms open, et cetera, people go back. So, yeah, it will have its core base, but it can't support the valuation they have. So I think you have to be careful of classifying them all as the same thing. They have different utility, and the technology's here to stay. It's just that these companies don't own the technology anymore. Yeah, Weiss, I think we can all agree the technology is going to stick around. I mean, who doesn't want to just sign their paperwork on computer? But you have some moat concerns. John, I know you're just buying more Adobe. Is it kind of an anti-DocuSign player, or there's some other factors making you want to buy it? Um, it it's also the publishing, Frank, uh, the web publishing and so forth that Adobe is able to uh, accommodate for people. Um, and one of the biggest uh, companies with reoccurring revenue, um, of course, is Microsoft with that, you know, the, the new way that they deliver us their operating system, their documents and sheets and all the rest. Um, I think Adobe is like that because people that use it are now giving them that reoccurring revenue. That's not new. That's been happening for quite a while. But, you know, being able to look around when I was today, Frank, at stocks that, like I say, um, in the case of uh, um, CrowdStrike or Adobe or some of these, CrowdStrike's not a huge uh, member of the uh, uh, QQQ in terms of Adobe is, I think, a top 10 name maybe top 15, um, and being able to buy that one down hard, that's where I wanted to start nibbling. So I got a little Adobe, like I say, added a little bit to Netflix, and I'm looking at a couple other names right now. All right, let's turn our attention to chip stocks. They've been a bit of a bright spot in this tech wreck, um, you know, falling negative for the week just now, but they were up for the week fractionally. Marvell rallying on the back of its earnings and its outlook. Jason, I'm going to come over to you. Marvell, great report, um, really great guidance. Their forward guidance really impressed the street. Are they kind of a bellwether of some strength in chips that might, we might see in 2022? Are chips the place to be? Yeah. So guidance is so important, clearly, you know, in this market these days. So what I would say about uh, I don't own um, Marvell in particular, but I own Qualcomm and NVIDIA. You know, they've, they've had great stories. If I think about Qualcomm, you know, Typically, we think about them as a headset. Um, you know, they own that market, but they really have a diversified business model. You know, looking at their analyst day, you know, investor day, I should say, a couple weeks ago, very exciting what they're doing, you know, in auto. You know, I think they're going to have close to $3.5 billion in revenue over the next five years and eight, up to $8 billion in the next 10. So there, there, there's a lot of demand in the in this semi-space as we move to the metaverse and AI and data center. I think these are just strategic verticals that the semis obviously play very well in. You know, and Marvell's, Mar- Marvell's report was very encouraging, and obviously they're benefiting it. You know, well, the street is Yeah, I mean, also big upgrades from uh, Goldman and uh, Cowan obviously helping out Marvell today, and including in addition to that strong guidance. All right, despite today's tech wreck, it's not a trade that many are willing to give up on. Bank of America's latest flow data showing the biggest inflow into tech since February. Last week, the biggest inflow into tech since February. And Weiss, right now, you're actually adding adding Facebook, FB, Meta, whatever you want to call it. Why add that now? 
Well, because it's been destroyed, and uh, I just thought it was an opportunity to, to trade it, frankly. So far, that's not exactly working out, because I added it yesterday, so suffering a little pain. But when you take a look at what this company's done in terms of the share price, sure, lots are down 25%, but this is sort of like an index play, and I own enough Apple. I didn't own, you know, I'd, I'd come out of more than half of my Facebook. So that's why I did it. It's a mistake. I've been looking, and I'll tell you why it's a mistake, and, and dumb thing me to have done, is that I've been looking for an exit for the rest of the position. So I said, okay, so I'll double down on my stupidity, and I'll buy some more, and that's what I did. Uh, look, I still think it'll lift. I still think it's oversold. It continues to be driven by the headlines, but also the antitrust situation you saw with NVIDIA. Let's keep in mind that a lot of Facebook's growth has come from acquisitions they've made, but that game is over now. So you're going to have to grow organically, and that's a longer path of growth. So I think that's also what's hitting the stock. John, I know you're getting more into mega cap tech as well, but Shannon, I just want to go over to you. A lot of market volatility this week. Are mega cap tech names, are those safe places to go to when we're seeing this kind of volatility? The S&P moving up or down 1% every day this week. The Dow with huge swings all week. Well, tech is certainly not the defensive that it's been um, during parts of the last two years. But I, I think it's really important. You talk, you touched on this, and um, I love uh, Steve's <laughs> description of egregious valuations. We all know that stimulus has created those egregious valuations, and so there's no, there's no uh, secret there. But I think when you're looking at your tech exposure, if you think about what will continue to drive earnings growth over the course of the next several years, it's going to have to come from innovation. We are going to get slower, slowing economic growth. We certainly can't keep the pace that we're at and we're going to have over the next couple of quarters. And so being able to create a barbell in your portfolio where you do have some big cap quality tech that can act more as a defensive, maybe not over the next couple of quarters in an interest rate cycle that we're in. But I, I think it's a great opportunity if you are underweight big cap tech to take advantage of that over the next few quarters. I think what you want to stay away from are these high flyers, you know, really long duration stocks that are not producing earnings that have um, their revenues or in cash flows are way far out in the future. And so I think you need to be selective. But what I would close with is I think 2022 is going to be a market in which you need to be selective, either at the industry level or the sector level or at the um, equity level. You need to be thinking about all of the things that we're talking about because there is going to be some divergence. And I think it's something that you could take advantage of. All right, Shannon, speaking of innovation, ARK Innovation down more than 6% right now. John, I'm going to give you one last word on this. I know you're buying more Alphabet. Uh, are you buying the dip or is there some other motivation? Um, yeah, I'm just buying the dip, uh, quite frankly, Frank. Um, this one was one that uh, uh, I had not had much exposure to over the last several months. And so picking up some, whether it's the GOOG or the GOOGL, um, I was buying a little bit, nibbling on both of those, Frank. And just to your point about that ARK fund, that SARK, S-A-R-K, which is the inverse of the ARK, um, that's certainly providing protection for people, uh, again, in their IRAs and so forth, where they can't short something. And if they've got exposure to those ARK stocks, that is an ETF that just shorts the ARK ETF. So um, I think that's a great way for people that are a little nervous, that would like to get a little hedge against off uh, these ARC type names, which are those high PEs that we've all, Jason and Shannon, and Steve and I have talked about. I think that gives you a little bit of that without shorting a stock. Instead, you're just in that ETF.
Yeah, ARC down 6%, SARC up hey, 6%. Hey, Frank, can I... Can, Frank, can I make one it. point that I think... Sure. So, uh, so what Jason came out uh, and, and said is actually very important. And we've seen this happen. It used to be it was money in the bank. Yields are down, tech goes up, particularly the high flyers because of what channeled into the DCF models where, you know, the interest rates stay low. Those cash flows are worth more. But with interest rates going up, they're worth less. So what we're seeing now is that none of the old playbook is really working. Not the you know, potential shutdown. Germany's shutting down all the unvaccinated. So this is really a market that's directionless, in my view, and, and smells more of people being scared, people being uncertain, and having made a lot of money and looking to put some cash in the bank. And as I said, I don't think it's over anytime soon because everything that was a positive is now negative and it lasts more than a week typically. All right, we're going to turn our attention to our next guest who's going to join us. He says this recent pullback will be short-lived. He's actually expecting a year-end rally with less than a month left to go in this year. Let's bring in our headliner, Keith Banks. He's vice chairman of Bank of Amer- at Bank of America and the head of the Investment Solutions Group. Keith, great to have you here today on a day like this. Thank you, Frank. Good to be with you and the Investment Committee. So Omicron's obviously spooking investors to some degree. Uh, all the indices, they're looking like they're going to finish this week negative unless we see some dramatic turnaround. But you say any pullback that we're experiencing right now is going to be short-lived. Not a lot of time left in 2021. Dr. Fauci saying we won't have a lot of answers about Omicron for like another two weeks. So where do you see this pullback ending? Well, look, it, it's hard to say whether we, in fact, will see you know, a, a rally at the end of the year. We think there's a, a good possibility we will. Um, but what we step back and look at is, number one, the assumption we're making is, you know, Omicron is not going to derail the economy, result in shutdowns. That's kind of a necessary condition, obviously, for the markets to continue to trend upwards. But if you if you put that aside, and obviously it's a very important uh, factor that we're watching closely, uh, we think growth right now in the fourth quarter is going to be extremely strong. Real growth, probably six percent or higher. Um, In the first two quarters of next year, real growth 4% or higher. That means nominal growth is double digit. And if if you just allow the translation that we've seen so far continue, meaning nominal growth at that level is going to drive very strong revenue growth. And as companies continue to focus on expenses and those companies that can pass on higher labor materials costs, operating leverage will be extremely strong. And we think, you know, that dynamic, which is what drove stocks primarily in 2021, will be the driver next year in 2022. Now, I will tell you, we're not looking for the outsized gains we saw the last two years. We would give you a range next year between, call it 6 to 12%. So roughly tracking what we're looking for in terms of earnings growth plus the dividend yield on top of that. So, Keith, I'm looking at your notes right here. You are very positive on the first half of 2022. You say it's going to be above average. What sectors are you looking at when you're talking about that above average first half of the year? Yeah, Frank, we think we're, we're early in the, in the rotation uh, from the, the high growth names into the cyclical and value names. Uh, we, we, like, we like materials. We like industrials, financials, energy. I think people are going to get more exposure Again, back to the strong nominal growth fact, uh, they want more exposure to economic sensitivity. They want companies with pricing power. Uh, I, I agree with uh, the comment Shannon made a few minutes ago that you want to still barbell. We've been, we did that through all of 21. 
meaning that we continue to increase our exposure in the cyclical and value sectors. But at the same time, we had exposure to the the high growth names that have near term earnings, near term free cash flow, but avoiding those names because we think there'll be a continued bifurcation that are, are short on earnings, but long on stories. So we think that's the that's the play for 22 as well. So, Keith, again, you're very positive about the first half of the year. However, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, he has a price target of forty four hundred for the S&P at the end of the year, about a three percent fall from we are where we are today. Do you also have a similar thesis where we're going to see a bit of a downturn in the second half compared to the first half? No, we're not as uh, we, we don't subscribe to what Mike is saying. Obviously, a lot of respect for Mike. But we think if you get four percent real growth in the first two quarters, you know, maybe you settle down to a three uh, percent in the second half of the year. Once again, when you layer on inflation, that gives you a very strong nominal growth environment. We still have the, the benefits of the lagged. You know, monetary policy has a lagged effect. So we have that still washing through. We're still going to have negative real interest rates. Money supply is going to still grow around 13 percent. So we think there's enough tailwinds that at the end of the year, as I said, we think for the full year, you're looking at a year that can give you a total return between six and 12 percent, depending on how strong earnings come through. Our forecast for earnings next year, a range of 225 to 230 and looking out to 23, and obviously that's a that's a pretty murky mirror right now. But we would expect continued growth, you know, more like trend trend line type economic growth, leading to maybe another six percent increase in earnings. So the underpinning, uh, which we believe will be the key driver next year, is in place. We think it'll be volatile. We think it'll be choppy. Uh, we would take advantage of pullbacks to add to cyclical and value areas. But net net, we think next year should be another good year for the markets. Keith Banks, after a week like this, looking ahead to 23, a bold man. Keith Banks from Bank of America, we appreciate you being here. Thank right. you very the much. The big man. world of crypto can be a bit hard to navigate, and our own Josh Brown is going in big time. He joins us with his new crypto play, Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started.
Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Involuntary manslaughter charges have been filed against the parents of the 15-year-old suspect in the Oxford High School shooting. James and Jennifer Crumbly have each been charged with four counts. Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald says that the gun use in the shooting was stored unlocked in their home. A mostly white jury has been seated for the trial of a white former police officer charged in the killing of Dante Wright, a black motorist. Kim Potter is charged with first and second degree manslaughter. She claims that she mixed up her gun and taser when she fatally shot Wright. And on the news tonight, team coverage of both cases. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. And Reuters is reporting that the iPhones of at least nine State Department workers were hacked using software developed by the Israeli company NSO Group. The intrusions represent the widest known hacks of U.S. officials using the company's technology. The hacks targeted U.S. officials who were either based in Uganda or working on matters concerning that country. You're now up to date. Frank, I'll send it back to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Rahel. Well, making crypto investing a lot more accessible. That's the goal of the new Ritholtz Wealth Management Wisdom Tree Crypto Index, which launches today. It's the first diversified crypto index for separately managed accounts designed to help financial advisors and their clients simplify investing in the crypto space. Joining us now is Jeremy Schwartz, the global CIO of Wisdom Tree Asset Management, and Josh Brown, CEO of Ritholtz Wealth Management. Gentlemen, thanks for both being here. Congratulations on this new endeavor. Thanks for having us. Hey, Frank. So downtown Josh Brown, I'm going to start things off with you. I got to ask, why crypto? Why now? What do you think this is going to mean for investors? So I, I first got involved in crypto in 2017, very casually, like most people, in, in a very experimental way. But a lot has happened since then. And I think we're on the, the doorstep of this thing really going mainstream. There are just too many projects underway too much money coming from venture capital and elsewhere, funding all sorts of companies and businesses and applications. And, you know, as a, as a wealth manager, when there's this much wealth creation, we have a responsibility to our clients to find a way to get the kind of exposure that could potentially reward them for taking that risk. As a fiduciary, we have an added responsibility to do so sensibly. So we approached Jeremy, we talked to uh, Wisdom Tree about our idea for an index-driven approach in an SMA, and Jeremy had already been thinking along these lines on his own. It made a lot of sense for us to collaborate, and the result is what we announced today. Yeah, again, that collaboration launches today. Jeremy, over to you. I know Wisdom Tree in general is focusing more on DeFi, one of the, the focuses of this crypto index. Um, when you talk to your clients, where's the near-term opportunities when we're looking at this index and DeFi in general? Yeah, we on our recent earnings call, our CEO said he's all in on DeFi, and we are as a firm. And that's, you know, Josh talked about 2017 for him. That's what got me focused on it was the CEO mission, what can do to ETFs, what ETFs did to mutual funds. We had a group working on that question. And the blockchain technologies has a transformative power, reducing costs through all financial services. So we got started looking at it. I got invested personally with, with Tyrone Ross from OnRamp Invest. He was my first OnRamp into crypto and Bitcoin. Uh, we ended up investing in OnRamp as a way to get this access. And that's one of the key ways this index is going to be available uh, through OnRamp. And, and so that we, we do think this broad diversified access is the way, instead of speculating on individual coins, bringing the idea of diversification, trying to get you growth opportunities while the big exposures like Bitcoin and Ether. Um, but and we'll evolve the, the index over time as new assets become meaningful and, and you get new themes to, to represent the whole ecosystem. 
but it has been tough to access, and, and platforms like OnRam can help make it easier for the RA community to do that. Josh, over to you. Obviously, you're, you're a bit of a first mover in this area, but you're expecting more people to get into the crypto space. This index, what is going to differentiate it from any upcoming crypto ETFs or Bitcoin ETFs or things that may come in the future? I'm so glad you asked that question because we're getting that question a lot. I think what's important to understand is that uh, this is a separately managed account, meaning clients will have this strategy in an account of their own. We're custodying this with Gemini. So Jeremy mentioned OnRamp. That's really the user interface where clients will be able to log in, see what they own, see how much it's up or how much it's down, uh, manage the money coming in, etc., um, but Gemini is where the actual assets will be held. We think they're a world-class crypto custodian already, and we're excited to be partnering with them as well. Um, the index will differ from an ETF in that we don't want to make a huge bet just on Bitcoin. Bitcoin's already had eye-popping returns. It's already a trillion-dollar asset unto itself. Jeremy constructed this index as a modified market cap-weighted index, we're taking down the exposure in Bitcoin and Ether. It's still big, but we wanted to have exposure to things like SushiSwap and Uniswap and Polygon, Terra, Phantom. These are some of the protocols that are up and coming that are seeing their total value locked dollars going higher and their communities grow. And so it's not about can we pick the next Bitcoin? We want to put ourselves in position so that what the market deems to be a big, important token we have some exposure there. This is rules-based. It is an index. There's a criteria for inclusion. Not every to token or coin is going to make it in. Um, but we're confident that Jeremy and the Wisdom Tree Index Committee will be able to help our clients navigate this in a rules-based, evidence-based approach. And that's why we're so excited about working with them. Yeah, Josh, we can see it's not an all-in approach. No Dogecoin in there. I didn't see it in there. I looked at your, at your deck. Um, Jeremy, I'm going to come Doesn't over. qualify. Oh, Jeremy, I'm going to come over to you. We saw right there DeFi is about 16% of this index. I have to ask you, isn't it a bit of an oxymoron for an institutional investor like you to get into DeFi when the whole idea is to take financial power out of the hands of big companies? And in general, how big do you really see this getting? Well, we, as I said before, our CEO is all in on DeFi. Uh, we believe trying to merge this sort of digital world with the traditional world. We are trying to be at the forefront of digital assets coming to the traditional asset management world. Um, so it's not at all um, through contradictory. I mean, we are we've had filings to try to tokenize all sorts of assets from treasuries to gold uh, and, and be what we call responsible DeFi. Um, a lot of DeFi is this unregulated and sort of outside of the traditional ecosystem there. We want to bring it through the responsible uh, traditional asset management channels. And, and we think we could be the, the bridge for that gap there. All right. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conversation about this with your clients today. Josh, before we let you go, one last conversation. What's your take on the sell-off today, especially the NASDAQ getting hit so hard? It seems like a continuation of what we've been seeing really since Thanksgiving. Uh, there, you've got high multiple stocks. You've got uh, growth companies, a lot of non-earnings companies that are undergoing this kind of reckoning. Uh, it's not terribly surprising because of how much uncertainty has been reintroduced into the air by uh, both Powell's recent comments and, of course, the, 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 the breaking news, hourly breaking news on Omicron. So I don't think anyone should be shocked at where most of the damage is happening. Uh, but I would just remind people, this is what it means to be invested in stocks. 
You get uh, 7% on average over the long term in stocks, closer to 3.5% on treasuries. What accounts for that difference, that premium return? Well, this is how you pay for it, enduring volatility like this. And I'm sure Jeremy's going to say something very similar, uh, but this is a constant in markets and in investing. Yeah, Jeremy, before we let you go, your take on the sell-off today? Yeah, I think we've been talking about the Powell pivot and sort of that the, the need to taper the, the employment report today wasn't so weak as the headline number. And so you have this issue of confronting uh, a Fed that is no longer going to be as aggressively accommodating as they were. They got to reduce some of that with all the inflation numbers coming. And as Josh said, the, the Omicron issue is obviously a key uncertainty. Um, but it is we do believe in stocks for long run as they as the long term approach, while there is some short term uh, digesting of the new Fed programs that, that are continuing to, to impact the market in the short run. All right. NASDAQ down two and a half percent on pace for its worst day since September 28th. Josh Brown and Jeremy Schwartz, thanks for being here. Good luck with your new endeavor. All right. Thanks. Stay with us. John's latest trades and unusual activity. That's coming up next. Halftime back in two minutes. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Halftime. The war of words over DraftKings continues today. Following yesterday's news that noted investor Jim Chanos is shorting the gaming stock, our Contessa Brewer joins us now with much more. Hey there, Contessa. Yeah, Frank, and the sports betting name's really getting slammed today. I've got DraftKings down by almost 10%. You've got Penn and Caesars off by 5%. By the way, DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins was not pleased with Jim Chanos's math and told me all about it in a Squawk Box exclusive. I mean, he said it himself. It's totally insane. The math makes no sense. Obviously, if we quadruple profit, uh, gross profit, cut marketing to 10% of revenue uh, and kept overhead flat, we would not be losing $200 million a quarter. We also are not trading anywhere near 30 times revenue. Um, it's less than half of that. Well, Chanos responded to that on Twitter, pulling out the third quarter earnings release. Let me show it to you. The problem is the third quarter, and there's the tweet, The third quarter, though, is the weakest seasonally with a margin of 20 percent. And that's the basis of Chanos's math. If you run Chanos's hypothetical four times revenue marketing spend reduced to 10 percent, but use annualized margin of 40 percent. Look at the right hand column now. You'd end up with operating income of more than 300 million. Chanos tweeted to me pointing out in this scenario, he cuts the marketing spend to 10 percent. Currently, it's at 143 percent. And then Jason Robbins reiterated today, he anticipates the state by state profitability will happen in two to three years in each state. He says he is in this for the long haul and he's not out to appease the short sellers. Frank. All right. Mark Brewer, thanks for that report. 
All right, time now for unusual activity. John, volatility, Nigerian, what are you seeing? Well, Frank, I usually just go by that V uh, for <laughs> my middle name. But uh, XRT, Frank. Um, XRT is, of course, the retail um, spider. Uh, they are buying the end of December 90 puts. So this is one of those situations, Frank, where somebody is betting that basically the stock falls or the ETF from where it is right now um, down through 90 and perhaps much lower by the end of the year after uh, Christmas and so forth. So that's the first one. Uh, second one is SoFi. And I love picking up SoFi beneath $15 uh, today. They were buying the March 15 calls with the stock at about 1470 I think, Frank, or something like that. So that's probably a two-month trade for me or longer. Love the stock, and I loved getting into it at much cheaper prices right here. All right, John and Jaron, we appreciate it. We're going to hit Jason and Shannon's latest portfolio moves coming up next. Much more on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Now for a check on the markets. You see right here the Dow down uh, a whole week of triple-digit swings, up or down. The S&P down a percent, continuing a trend all week, either up a percent or down a percent. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit, down 2%. Tesla uh, having the biggest negative impact on the Nasdaq, continuing to fall today, down 2% again, on pace for its worst day since September the 28th, last two weeks down 6%. All right, the investment committee, it's making many more moves. Jason, we're going to start off with you. You're buying Marriott again. Yeah. Yeah, so I owned Marriott earlier in the year, you know, sold it in early August. You know, I think there's just a lot of value there. It's down about 9% in the last 30 days. You know, they're levered to the corporate traveler coming back, and I think that will happen in 2022. And I think they have a very profitable fee business model. So I like the name here and decided to kind of take in get some capital allocation there as, as it pulled back in the last 30 days. And Shannon, over to you. You're selling two names. Yeah, we sold uh, both PayPal and Global Payments. And really, the, the theme here is similar. So um, I'll just look at it from an overview perspective. The payment space is certainly getting, you know, disrupted pretty um, effectively right now. And we're just not sure who's going to come out on top. And if you look at PayPal, for instance, I know John's buying some more of this, uh, but we feel that there is the opportunity here for Venmo is very limited. It looks like they're not going to be able to transcend the P2P. And so despite the growing total addressable market for PayPal, we're just not sure that this doesn't re-rate from a growth story to a value story. And so that's more likely for us to go back into that name at some point after we get through this period of pain. Um, but as, on the global payment side, you know, we're just looking at increasing compression for transaction-based uh, payments. And so we're, we're moving out of it. We're going to hold on to Visa, um, be in the, uh, the, the major name that can be less disrupted, and wait and see where else we want to go from a payments perspective in the future. All right. Thanks a lot, Shannon. Up next, the trades on some of the day's biggest analyst stock calls, including one Dow component being called cheap right now. Halftime. Right back. All right, Honeywell named a top pick for 2022 at J.P. Morgan. Steve Tusa saying, quote, we now view Honeywell as cheap. It's one of our calls of the day. Jason and Shannon, you both own it. Jason, first, your take. Yeah, so what I would say about Honeywell, obviously they've underperformed this year down about 4%, a little over 4% year to date. Um, you know, this is a tough one. I mean, it, 
on a relative basis, I mean, trading at 26 times, I guess, I guess is cheaper than what it's been. But, you know, they're levered to the, to the defense and airline space. So that's that's been kind of a tough trade this year. But they have a very strong balance sheet. So let's see how things play out going into 2022. But like the call generally, it's been a long-term hold of others. Shannon? Yeah, I think if you look at execution by the management team, they've already divested some of their businesses. They continue to focus on operational efficiencies. Um, and I just think this hasn't been a company that's benefited from sentiment in the last year. But I look at my industrials portfolio, and I think it combines both technology and a footprint in some of the areas that are going to continue to grow and benefit from a stronger global economy. Weiss, before we go, I just want to go over to you. What's your take on the broader industrial sector? Uh, we're seeing right now, obviously, Honeywell in the red, but you see another stock like Caterpillar up almost a percent on a day like this. Yeah, look, I don't think you can just buy industrials blanketly. I don't think you can buy the industrial ETF, the S&P, because you've got components in there like Boeing. You've got components that are perhaps much better, like a Raytheon. So it's really diversified. I'd pick stocks, you know, specific stocks. I like Honeywell, but these to me are not undervalued at this point with rates going the way they will. So I'd like to see them stabilize a little bit. The, you know, the industrial ETF is about 38 times trailing, only 22 times forward. But again, you got to parse through that. So Honeywell, I haven't been in for a while and I haven't missed it for a year and a half. I haven't been in it, but I am looking for a reentry point as well as some other industrials when the market comes down. Because they're more predictable cash flow generators, which is what I like to key off when I'm investing, than a lot of other parts of the market. All right. Final trades coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back. Uh, Weiss, you're making some moves in Chinese tech, getting hit even harder than the NASDAQ today. As they should. I'm short Billy, B-I-L-I, and P-D-D. These stocks are going a lot lower. DD's relisting in Hong Kong, so you'll own the ordinaries, or they're going to buy some of these companies at really discount prices. I've been to court in the Cayman Islands against some of them. You don't want to own them. You still want to short them. All right, well, a handful of notable retail earnings expected next week, including... Costco, Lululemon. Shannon, you own Costco. I do. We're obviously going to be looking at their comments about inflation, but more importantly, if they are benefiting from the fact that some of their competitors target Walmart supermarkets are not able to do as much promotional activity, and so maybe the perception that bulk equals value could be helping Costco as we go through the winter. John, over to you. You own Lululemon. Yeah, Frank, and uh, the question is, how big a uh, turnaround in the bricks and mortar um, are we going to see? Also, obviously, digital sales are really important. They have several quarters where they were up nearly triple digits, nearly 100%. So can this be another one of those quarters? If it is, the stock goes back to 475. If it isn't, breaks down through 420. All right, Ronzo, keep it rolling, John. Uh, final trades, you're first up. Sure. Uh, Square, Frank, uh, after this big sell-off, I don't think it's deserved. I am buying Square Calls January 175s. Shannon. Salesforce, CRM, if you think about moats, we talked about them earlier in the show. They have one. It's going to continue to grow. Jason. Qualcomm, like them as they continue to diversify their business value, stay long, Qualcomm. Why is she got the last word? Short TLT, rates have bottomed. There's only one direction to go from here. All right, there we go. That does it for Halftime, The Exchange with John Ford. That's coming up next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.